talking so fast you can run his podcast at point five. Results are conclusive, just know that he argues both sides. His GM is a shadow of his normal self. Doppelganger stealth. Welcome to episode 42 of the Shadow of the GM podcast. This will be the rainy day episode, if you can hear the rain thundering down in my car as I record this. Um, and today, the main topics are going to be playing and responding to some call-ins I've had since my last show, and, and also talking a bit about playing GURPS with my children. So I've been playing a family game now, which I've kind of started a little bit off and on with the children. So talking a little bit about running GURPS, how it kind of got them into it, what sort of happened there, and sort of how that's progressing now at the moment. So, again, without further waiting, let's get into those call-ins. Hi, Barry. Yeah, enjoying listening to your GURPS run. Caravan of Inaris. I played that a few times, actually. I don't know. I, th- I believe this pops up in more than one GURPS rulebook. I'm looking at the third edition rulebook, just flicking through as I'm listening to you talk about it. Uh, I don't know which bits you're talking about, of course, but... <laughs> I'm looking at this. It is amazing looking at some of these old uh, adventures that that we turned out the wonderful, well-adjusted adults that we did. I'm assuming you're a wonderful, well-adjusted adult. I don't know you that well. <laughs> but I'm reading this description of one. Uh, oh, I don't want to do any spoilers. Shall we call her Beera? Okay, Beera, daughter of Halmaro, blah, blah, blah. She was a cute, freckled tomboy when she was younger. As she grew older, she became beautiful, the very picture of the devastating female fighter. That's how she thinks of herself. She will fight bravely if need arises. Unfortunately, she's also spoiled, arrogant, and a bit dumb. Yeah, it's not great, is it? But then, uh, uh, the fourth day after her rescue, as I say, don't want to do any spoilers, so let's uh, pretend I, have, I've, I've, I haven't given her a name, which sounds very much like her actual name. She approaches the male PC with the highest reaction bonus and entreats him to run away with her. If he refuses, she tries to convince him. Roll a contest of skills. Her sex appeal of 14 versus his IQ. I mean... Really? <laughs> so when you look back, it dates somewhat, doesn't it? I remember... Oh, this is pretty much always the plot, isn't it? This is why... I mean, here's a spoiler for my play- players if they're li- listening to your show, but oh, if there's a maiden needs rescuing, if they've been given that mission, they haven't learnt yet. But when they get these quest missions, rescue the maiden, in my games, there never is a maiden. Or even if there is a maiden, she definitely doesn't want rescuing. <laughs> but they still, they still take the missions. And then they get to that point where it becomes clear that there isn't a maiden or the maiden doesn't want rescuing. And then they're always going, oh, well, you know, we did take the mission. <laughs> I haven't learned. So sorry about that. Maybe you're playing a different edition. Maybe you've modified it. Maybe there are spoilers for your players. But actually, I have included in there a whole bunch of spoilers for my players should they be uh should they be interested <laughs> 
That was Dave Aldridge there from the D Percentile podcast. Um, that's currently on hiatus at the moment, but I urge you to go and check out Dave's back catalogue. It's a brilliant podcast. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that bit from Iron Arrow. So Iron Arrow, I think, was written back in 1986. It was in some of the early editions. It's now a standalone adventure. It's not in the core book for fourth edition. But obviously, I mean, that was like 20 years ago between the third and, well, between when it was originally written and fourth edition. So, so clearly it's changed. I mean, if you look at Bira in inverted commons things, it certainly doesn't, oh, it does say she was cute, freckled tomboy. Unfortunately, she's also spelled okay so they haven't changed the text in 20 years maybe we haven't quite moved as far forward as we would like to be as to be turning into well-adjusted adult uh, my wife might say otherwise but you know i'd like to think that i'm fairly well-adjusted like that um yeah i mean You've touched on something a little bit there, apart from the fact it's a bit of a massive cliche in some of the ways that she um, doesn't really want to be rescued. She kind of does want to be rescued. The the events didn't, again, spoilers. Well, the players in my group do know this now. They've done this bit now, fortunately, so it isn't a spoiler for them. They do know that she was trying to run away for a life adventure and didn't quite turn out the way she's wanted to and she ended up being ransomed instead. Um, and they've come across her. Uh, yes, and it still has the rules around about the fourth day afterwards that she does try and use sex appeal versus IQ to try and persuade someone. And that's the bit which is interesting, and that player has thrown the curveball, which I was talking about, where basically he's not run away with her. Instead, what he's done is um, the character with the best reaction bonus, just to put it in play. Um, so the one that was in quote unquote more attractive to Kira or someone she thought she'd get the best reaction out of is also extremely devout and extremely kind of honest and trustworthy so he hasn't run away with her secretly instead what he's done is he has approached Harmaro and tried to convince him that that he should let him marry her um now interesting point in this is that the character that she did approach is also extremely rich he's a very wealthy men- merchant a member of the merchant's guild which if you know the scenario is quite important so in actual fact he has got really good prospects for said daughter now i won't go too much into the other plot around things about weddings and stuff so but if you do know the part of the game it is quite an interesting curveball to kind of throw in there so we're going to see this week how that one kind of plays it a little bit more but it was interesting um it touches on something a little bit around gurps i'm not a massive fan of i'm not keen on the the sex appeal scale or rather how it gets used I, I sort of get where it comes from a little bit if anyone thinks that people don't use sexual charms on people to get what they want that's probably a bit naive really but i don't like in some ways the way the game kind of handles that i prefer that kind of stuff i guess through role-playing interaction rather than lowering skills for it but you know we did it anyway kind of as written but the way i do it which we did with this character is i don't railroad them so if he fails against her check and then decide that he does like her it wasn't a case of saying right you must run away it was more of a case of the options the player had and the rules in the game do kind of give you options about things they could do around that so anyway i guess that was interesting so thank you dave for that yeah some things haven't changed in the 20 odd years since gurps came out originally <laughs> as much as we like to think that we're all better well-adjusted people or the game settings are more well-adjusted so with that out of the way let's move on to the next message dude barry if you guys got through that big of a combat in that short amount of time then yeah i don't know what folks are talking about when they talk about gurps man because you know, in the Pathfinder games I've been running lately, it's four players. And so, you know, I just ran a fight. It was four players. And I think there was four bandits and some horses. And that fight took the better part of an hour, <laughs> you know. But sometimes in those long fights, especially with, you know, you're trying to figure out what to do and stuff. But, yeah, they can uh, Pathfinder fights can definitely take a long time, man. Uh, great stuff. I'm glad you're playing GURPS. I'm glad it's going well, man. And I will talk to you soon. Peace out. 
Thanks, Joe. Joe Richter there from the Hindsight Listen Wheeler World podcast. Um, Joe and I are both officiados of playing games like uh, D&D 3.5 and Pathfinder, where we've done long combats where they can last quite a while. I mean, some people say that about 5th edition as well. I think 5e is probably faster than Pathfinder in 3.5. But, I mean, my caveat on a lot of these things about how long combat takes is it's got a lot to do with how clear the players are and what they're going to do on their turns or how complicated the things are on their turns. So I guess to go back to our game, there are a lot of options in GURPS. There are a lot of things you could do, but the players... A, because some of them, you know, kind of don't know the rules too well, so they maybe don't know intricacies they could have picked, or the ones who knew them well enough to know the simple things they could do to kind of just get done what they wanted to do. There wasn't a lot of, I guess, meta thinking behind what the other people just moved and attacked and, you know, stepped and things, and we had a few little minor conversations around it. But I think, generally speaking, it might be because there were a lot of people in the combat, but there wasn't a lot of complexity. I mean, there was like a barrier in the way, and there's people running and people shooting and some conversations about range, but... In some ways, the virtual tabletop helped. I'm using a simplified version of the rules calculator, the range calculations for some of the ranged combat and things. And, you know, it, it kind of helps, I think, if the players have had a chance to kind of get some idea about what they want to do. And if, if, if they got a good, clear, I think, understanding of what they want to do on their turn, then it doesn't take too long. I mean, where GURPS kind of slows things out a little bit, uh, I think I've said before, is the act of defense where you attack, you make a roll, and then the person you're attacking defends and they makes a roll. And so not only the whiffiness, but there's also this kind of double rolling that goes on. But again, if you're quite quick on that, then it doesn't really slow things down. And there were a couple of things I messed up, which maybe made me went a bit faster because the things I could have done that I didn't do. Um, part of it as well was there wasn't any looking up and double checking of the rules, which I hate doing at the table, but it does sometimes come up when people want to double check things they're doing, etc. Um, I try and avoid that as much as possible in my games, but it does come up sometimes. And, you know, it's about making sure the players aren't being, um, what's we're looking for, misrepresented or, you know, biased against by not, not understanding the rules fully on my part and their part. But I think it was a fairly simple combat. I mean, it's worth saying that with Iron Iris, there isn't magic in it. So that simplifies the system quite a lot. It simplifies a lot of things, a lot of stuff you don't need to worry about with the magic system. So when we go on to eventually play Dungeon Fantasy, there will be some magic in there. And I suspect that's going to result in some of the combats being a bit more elongated. Uh, there's also no complexity in a medieval setting around things like, you know, automatic weapons and recoil and how many hits. We're not doing hit locations, like I said. So some of that stuff wasn't in there. So that kind of helped quite a lot. So I think as we add stuff in, they might get a bit longer. But I, I just think that it's one of those combats as long as you make it, I think, in a way. And so it depends a lot on the players. If the players want to keep it simple, I want to keep it fast flowing. We can keep it simple, keep it fast flowing. If we want to get more into the nitty gritty, I think you could make it more in depth and complicated. That would then possibly slow the process down. But I think we kind of got the balance about it right when we played it last time. I'll wait and see anyway. So yeah, again, thanks again, Joe, for that message. And you know, I don't have necessarily anything against longer combats as long as they don't dominate every single session. I think that's kind of the key thing in my mind. And there's plenty of role playing happened in the session as well as the combat. So it was good. So that. Uh, if you move on to my last comment. Hey, Barry, it's Che from Roleplay Rescue. I just uh, listened to episode 39 and I just want to thank you for that. I really uh, enjoyed that. And it was it was great hearing kind of the call-ins from, from Jules, especially stuck in my mind because I thought uh, her reaction to, to the game was interesting and, and interesting to hear you uh, you know about your journey really into GURPS and the things you're finding easy and difficult. The VTT stuff was uh, interesting as well because as a person who's moving away from using virtual tabletops altogether, um, it, it's kind of interesting to hear that you're wrestling with those and trying to you know and deal with those. To me, it's just a huge time sink. So um, uh, you know, I, I I am absolutely amazed that you have the patience for all of that. But um, no, thank you for sharing all those thoughts, especially on GURPS. I think. 
there's so much richness in that game that's overlooked. And so I'm hoping that you're enjoying it. But um, I'm going to just listen on and catch up with your, your episodes. And just want to say thanks, Barry. I really appreciate it. Game on. That was the amazing Che Webster there from uh, the Roleplay Rescue podcast and um, the blog. So just um, been talking a lot to Che about GURPS because we're both big GURPS fans um, and I played in one of his combat test games back in the day. I wish we could get onto his Mega Dungeon game, but I've not managed it yet. Um, I mean, just to address those things that came up. So yeah, I'm enjoying kind of sharing our exploration of GURPS and getting into a bit more. And it's partly to, I guess, get my own thoughts out there as I'm playing it and experimenting with it, as well as looking to see if anyone out there has got any thoughts and similar sort of feelings or feedback on it. So it's good getting other people's sort of, you know, I guess, perspectives on some of the things. Um, talk a bit about VTTs. I mean, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with VTTs. I, I mean, I, I grew up playing face-to-face RPGs, and a lot of the time it was all a theatre of the mind. We very kind of rarely used minis, only sometimes where combat was getting a little bit complicated and it was good to put things on the table, even use your dice to represent monsters, just so we understood where things were. There's a lot of like hand-drawn maps and things going on. So in a way, VTTs are still a little bit unnatural to me because, you know, although I played a 3.5 or 4th edition, which is very map heavy, very mini heavy, 4th um, edition especially, I mean, pre-written adventures came to a lot of the battle maps and things as well, um, and everything was done in squares. The the fact is I still prefer a lot of theatre of the mind, and we'll talk a bit about that when we talk about um, gaming with the children a little bit more. Um, I do, however, find that VTTs do have some benefits. So, for example, some of the players, I find it's easier for them to have some, some sort of visual representation. I like the some playing online. So with the whole COVID worldwide situation, a lot more online gaming going on, and I'm doing a lot more of my only gaming is online. That's been for a while, just because of the difficulty in getting groups together at the moment with my own sort of time commitments. But it has it is quite good in a way that when you're playing over the net to have people just able to press a button and it rolls dice for them, they can type modifier straight in and that kind of I feel that speeds things up sometimes. The issue as you kind of alluded to there, Chase, around about that kind of prep time, time sync stuff is getting used to the, the tabletop, understanding how it works, sort of mastering the character sheet, getting character trans over. It's much easier with a pen and paper and people just rolling dice um to kind of get that stuff done ahead of time i can even have maps sketched in my head and it doesn't matter i don't have to get high quality visual maps uploaded and align grids and sort out dynamic lighting and stuff i mean some of that's my own fault for wanting to do those things um but i do really enjoy when i get those stuff right because not talking about girls but an open legend game i ran years ago I did a horror one and it was really good having the dynamic lighting in there so when the characters are moving around they're lighting up rooms and things like round corners and stuff and it was it was good in a way of having that kind of reaction and there's some really good effects with some of the new things like foundry where there's like sound effects and music and stuff that you can inlay into the game and things and you know i'm not a massive fan of music it has to be said but you know i'm looking at whether we sort of use some sound effects and things just to kind of add a bit more atmosphere to some of those sort of styles of game so Again, from a methodology point of view, I think with some of the horror ones, it'd be quite good with the VTT to have some sort of more atmospherics in there to kind of help build that mood if I can get my brain around using them, which is the downside. But I mean, there was a talk on Colin Spike Pit Beans, one about a podcast about using just like slides. Uh, I need to call into a show about that, to be honest, because that would be kind of ideal for me that when I've used Rule 20, to put the caveat of this VJ, when I've used Rule 20 to run Inaris, there has been very little actual battle map use going on. So I think we've used one, two maps maybe now. I think there's one and one inverted. I might have only actually used one in the end that was actually used as a battle map. The rest of the time we've done it as theatre of the mind and the map sections in Roll20 have just been placeholders for pictures, pictures to kind of, you know, help visualise the scene that's going on and kind of set the atmosphere that way because I don't naturally 
I have maps for everything. I don't have maps for taverns. I don't have maps for market squares and stuff. There's like pictures of these things in the background just to kind of have there to add that flavor as I talk through what's happening. So in actual fact, you know, the VTT side isn't that important to me as much, but I am looking into using them. Um, it seems to be attractive for some players. And like I said, there are some benefits to it. So, you know, I do enjoy experimenting with them and trying them out. I don't know that I'm massively sold on it um, as the way going forward. I'm quite happy just to run things on Zoom and kind of talk people through things. The key thing for me that I use it for is kind of, I guess, that kind of place holding for things. Um, so, for example, what's useful to me from a Rule20 perspective, and in some ways Foundry now that I'm using it, is that if you can run it on an online server, people can log in and they can you know, write their own character sheets, add things and do tweaks and stuff and all that when I'm not there. And I find that really, really useful. So they can go in and like, say if they've built a group's character sheet on GCS or they've done it by hand, they can then go into the Roll20 sheet and just add things on. And I can go in anytime I want, just kind of check on it and make tweaks and fix mistakes they've made and things. And it's quite easy. And I find that quite helpful. Now, again, functionality can be there in other things. I mean, I could do that with maybe a OneNote sheet or a, group, or a Google sheet or something and just do it that way instead. But I do quite find having that in one place quite useful. So if all the dice rolling is coming off these sheets and things and they're all in one place and it's the web hosted, that's quite good. It's one of the things that stopped me using Fantasy Grounds in a way was the fact that as far as I can see, the only way to run it is to run it on your local machine, which means I'd have to always have a machine running for people to log in or I would have to do stuff and roll together to do it. Whereas I found with Foundry and Roll20 has this as well already built in that Foundry, I can host it on an Amazon a micro machine basically it's like a remote host server which can keep it running and in theory i've got uh, players can now log in and they can build their own characters and it whilst i'm not there and add things and you know tweak things and i can pause the game so they can't move their minis around and stuff and things like that or change maps but they can go in and like write their sheets and things and that kind of stuff i find really really useful so i guess that's kind of where i'm at with vtts i don't think i'd really use them to their full maximum effect because I don't really have the time. Like you said, some of it is a bit of a time sink, but it is quite good there. So like I said, what put me off a little bit with the Roll20 sheets for GURPS is their bit of complexity. One of them simpler, but it's an autofill stuff, which seems like a waste of time. I as well the paper sheet. Um, whereas the more complicated one does a lot of the auto calculation for you, but it's a bit of a pain in the backside working out how it works on the back end. Um, Foundry sheet, the version I found now for GURPS is really, really good. It's kind of fairly simple, fairly intuitive. The person's still building it at the moment. So there are a few things that don't work quite right. Um, he's called Wiggles on <laughs> GitHub uh, that makes it at the moment. His, I really quite enjoy his sheet because it's quite simple, I guess, in how it looks and how it kind of runs. And it does things like gives you a margin of success, tells you if you've got critical success and failure and things like that. Um, and again, Foundry's got quite good integration for a range ruler as well for the hexes and tells you what your hit, hit modifiers are based on range. So there's some really cool stuff from the VTT in there that you know if you want to use it, it's quite funky. But that being said, I would quite happily sit there with people having their own paper character sheets in front of them, with me just having a GM control sheet, and just let them roll their own dice at home and do it that way, to be honest. I don't have a massive issue with using battle maps and things. At the time, I would kind of maybe have a bit of a map, like I've said, is where it's combat, and it's maybe getting a bit confusing. But I am really interested in this idea of maybe using something like Google Slides in the future to do that instead. Um, I do look at GTOV at the moment, which is a 3D kind of one, but it's also fairly low end and it's web based, which would be quite good for doing some things. But, you know, I'm kind of, I'm tempted to move away from the whole VTT thing and do it without because I am finding one at Theatre of the Mind a bit easier. Anyway, I'm rambling just now. So I just want to say thanks again, Jay, for that message. And I am still loving GURPS, uh, as we'll talk about a bit more in this episode, playing it with the children and stuff. I am enjoying it. I think it's definitely becoming my go to system. And, you know, I never say never because I change my mind about everything, but at the moment it seems like the one I'm going to stick with for a while, at least anyway. So let's talk a bit about gaming with GURPS and gaming with my children. 
So to get into the meat of this episode, I want to talk a bit more about, well, a bit about playing with the children. So um, I think I mentioned before my 15, well, he's now 16 year old, was keen to play D&D. He's now gone off and started GMing himself again. So he's running his own 5e games without me. I got, you know, cast aside as a parent of a teenager as per usual for him to uh, go and play with his friends. So he's off doing that. So I've ended up not running 5e now. I have been, nags maybe not the right word, there's been some interest from my 11-year-old for quite some time to play Dungeons and Dragons, D&D, as he says, um, and so also a little bit from the six-year-old as well, when they've seen things like my dice and the books and things, and they've asked about it. Now, they talk about D&D a lot because that's what they've always heard me talk about when I'm talking to my wife and things, and she always talks about D&D because that's kind of their frame of reference for role-playing games. But bearing in mind, they never actually played any. So I had a long, long time ago made a character for, as he was 10 back then, for uh, my stepson about making him a character to do in second edition D&D. And we ended up not really playing it, but as we were looking into doing things, as I was looking into GURPS myself, so when I started coming back towards looking at games like GURPS, I stumbled across on the MOOC.net um, a quick creation system for characters in GURPS. So what it utilizes is the wild card skill in GURPS, which is where you pick a very broad term and put an asterisks ask for it and that's a skill that kind of works in a very base system so for example GURPS normally has very specific skills for very specific things but you have the optional rule where you can have wild card skill where you say something like knight or wizard or soldier or you know spy or something with an exclamation mark behind it and this is now a broad catch-all skill for everything that could be related to that profession so uh, as Jason Connolly will often say when he talks about you know um, barbarians of Lemuria it's like the idea of you having this profession that you've got a base level of sort of competency and all things you can justify as being related to it. And that in groups is what world car skills are based around. So with this quick character creation guide, the idea is you can make characters in seven minutes. So what you do is rather than go through the points process, which takes a fairly long time, if you know anything about GURPS, what you do instead is that you pick stats based on it's got different levels of abilities it's got like normal ones notable characters epic characters etc so depending on which one you pick it varies but you basically talk about what your character is good at so you basically pick a priority system for your strength dexterity iq and health for your character in groups and it gives you numbers something like 13 for two of them 11 for one and 10 for another and it's that way so again not based on points because you could skew it so that you're actually getting a points advantage by putting higher things in your intelligence and dex which are more useful but it doesn't really matter so much in that one um it simplicity then it assumes things like if you know much about GURPS it assumes things like your willpower and perception and things are all just your default values based on your IQ you don't get bonuses to those as are your hit points and things you then move on to advantages and what it actually tells you to do is don't look at the advantage list necessarily from GURPS it just says think of two things you want your character to be good at and say like you know oh they might be lucky or they can use weapons in both hands and then if you're a good DM GM and you know the analogous thing from GURPS you can put an ambidexterity and look as the advantages etc and put those in there there's an the optional offer that they can pick a disadvantage, something that hinders their character that they make up. And again, they can do this in a narrative way where they just describe what they want it to be. And then you write that in and you put it in there basically as a disadvantage and that allows them to pick a, sec a third advantage they can then pick to add to their character. And that's basically it from the advantages to disadvantages. So it's a lot quicker, as I said, than GURPS itself. Um, then moving on to skills. So you pick one wild card skill. So you pick what is your character's profession and that's now your wild card skill. And off the top of my head, I want to say it defaults to IQ index minus two, 
basically as your skill level for that which again if you know anything about GURPS will make sense to you if not it might be a bit out there but basically the skills default to an ability so if you've got like an IQ of 14 then that skill would be 12 so 12 for IQ based roles or whatever for decks for those things raced around that you then pick depending on the game the level two skills which you're moderately good at which would be based on say IQ index minus one and then two that are sort of very very good at which might be IQ plus one I think it's going to be plus one or plus two actually thinking about it um based on your stats i won't go too much of the details if you want to find them please go and have a look on the website but the general idea is that you put them together fairly quickly what he also did is he put together some sample characters from settings so he has some from modern settings but he also had a sample fantasy party based on the quick scale so what i did is i took those and i took a sample fighter a sample thief and a sample wizard um and i basically did some index cards for the children and we did, we did this in the car because basically we go shopping a lot of moments to go and get you know uh, food shopping grocery shopping if you're american uh, the children stay in the car with me whilst my wife goes to the shopping a so she gets some peace and be mileage for them all day long because i get away when i'm at work and also because we don't want to drag all the children around with the current situation we don't feel that's a good idea uh, for risks of bringing things back etc so we want to keep them in the car kind of not so much to keep them safe it's more about keeping things from being spread around really to be honest um so what i did is i put 3d6 inside what's effectively a very small plastic tupperware things so we don't lose them in the car gave the my children these two index cards where they picked themselves what they want to be gave, they gave the characters names and then off we rocked into playing gerbs fantasy basically so my youngest son six-year-old at the time picked the fighter and the older one picked the thief and then what we did is I made on the spot kind of just threw together a very simple sort of like five room dungeon they did. I kind of stole the one I did for Jason and Shandy Andy for um, the one shot we did in ADD 2E because I'm lazy and I like to reuse things that the people haven't played. And we kind of ran through a very basic simple version of that. And so for them it was very simple at that point in time. It's just rolling 3d6, getting under the skill. If they hit, we said they hit. We didn't bother with the active defense at that point in time. They rolled damage. Damage is listed in the card as to what they rolled. And we did that very, very quickly. And we ran that. And so we ran a few, a couple of adventures using that a few times. And then I was talking to my 11 year old and I said, look, I said, are you bothered about playing actual D&D or are you quite happy just playing role playing? And he said, well, he said he wouldn't mind playing D&D sometime to see what D&D specifically is. He said, but he was quite happy playing it. The more thing he's bothered about, and this is good player coming through, was he the character he'd made for D&D, the actual one he'd made himself. He wanted to play that character. So he's more bothered about that character with the plot he'd written in that backstory for the character it was a dwarf who wasn't very well respected in his home community and he had kind of made this idea that you know he convinced them that if he went off and slew a dragon and bring a dragon skull back to his dwarven um stronghold basically he would like win respect back for himself and his family because he was like had been disgraced a bit not doing his guard duty properly at one point in time and so he wanted to play that character so what we did is we ported that character over to gurps dungeon fantasy and i basically made that fully fledged 250 point dungeon fantasy character um because he then played it was originally a fighter character in DD, but because he played a thief he then wanted to keep some of the thiefy abilities so again the advantage with gurps if you know what you're doing is that i was able to kind of go off piece to the templates that were in dungeon fantasy and basically mash together a combination kind of fighter thief character because you are not restricted you don't there's no like character classes as gurps is based so you're able to take some of the thiefy skills so now he still has some of those sort of like climb and sneaking and lock picking skills as well as his combat abilities for his dwarf character they're in there now for dungeon fantasy so we've got those and i made the six-year-old one into a full proper wizard now i don't expect my six-year-old to be playing the full character sheet thing but we'll give it a go um at least he's got all the options there so he now has 100 million more spells he only had 
I think three spells in the quick start one. There was something like Firebolt, um, Charm, and there was something else. Oh, well, he had Flying, I think, as well in there, which he used sometimes. So he, he's going to change now to like a full kind of wizard spectrum of spells, which is about 30-odd spells in Dungeon Fantasy. So I don't expect him to know them, and he's not really going to understand them, but we'll kind of over time kind of build him to it. So we played the first kind of half session of that the other day and my 11 year old was enjoying it. My six year old was getting a bit frustrated because my 11 year old was asking about all the different things in the character sheet meant because he wanted to know and he'd get annoyed that we were taking a very long time to explain it because he just wanted to get on and play. So we did manage to get on and play a bit and they were end up halfway through a fight with a rock might and they were enjoying it. So it is actually going fairly well. It's been quite enjoyable. They do ask about it. They still refer to it as D&D, which is, you know, a little bit irritating in some ways, but you know, <laughs> don't really mind so much. Um, although my 11 year old has heard me say about it, he says, he says D&D, or should I say GURP, since that's what we're actually playing, as he did say one time, so it's good to hear him say that he knows he knows what he's playing. Um, but from the point of view of the fact that they are enjoying the role playing and they're asking to do it, which has been good fun. Um, I think as I alluded to earlier in this uh, podcast, we are doing all theatre of the mind, so I'm literally describing everything and we're drawing maps. Now, something a little bit interesting did come along when we were playing last time because in the previous adventures they were a bit railroady basically the first time we sat down together they were kind of like what shall our quest be and i said well let's say that there is a king and his daughter is not very well so they had to go to this tomb of damara and get this chalice which was said to have healing properties to bring it back and you know basically help cure his daughter of this illness to the princess so they did that and the next thing they wanted to do was then they had a bit more input this time because my 11 year old stepson said he wanted to maybe go and get something like dragon's blood so we had this idea that the king of the same land wanted to protect his city as like stronghold from danger and so he was concocting this plan to make the spell to create like a defensive barrier around his city but he did dragon's blood so they had to go and sneak and get dragon's blood off this dragon which was a fun interesting experience because the thief character at the time managed to do it but the wizard decided because he's played by a six-year-old to when they're about to escape scot-free throw a fireball in the face of the dragon for no good reason it'll just annoy him and uh, so that then escalated into an extended adventure where the town they were from was being attacked by said dragon and they had to find another way of stopping the dragon and um, this actually turned out into them were trying to work out if there's such a thing as water dragons which we decided there were and so they went to find another wizard who could tell them where to find a water dragon they constructed <laughs> this plan to try and persuade this water dragon that his life was in danger and they'd somehow saved it so it now owed them a life debt which is very amusing because the dragon didn't buy it but it was quite amused by them enough to help them they then helped fight this dragon the dragon then didn't defeat the other dragon but managed to put it off enough that it said that it just wanted an apology off them for stealing its blood without asking it nicely so they did that they apologized to said dragon and they kind of got off not scot-free but you know they kind of managed to work their way through that one so it was a fun entertaining session um i'm trying to kind of teach them a little bit not to be murder hobos although you know they are quite fun and want to just kill it while well, the six-year-old loves just killing everything as we said the 11 year olds much more interested in you know finding other ways from things curiously um but what then developed from that is that because we've kind of started doing a little bit of collaborative world building around this that you know when they say what shall i do i said what kind of things do you want to do they have started offering stuff because we've kind of and i can't remember how much of this was led by me or led by them talked about they want more of a plot behind collecting other things for said king so we then started talking about well, why does the king want to collect all these things and the six-year-old who's into minecraft and stuff is on about creating portals and all the rest of it and stuff and everything and we've kind of i don't know between us developed this idea that maybe the king's up to something a little bit nefarious maybe all these magical items and things because he now wants a griffin feather 
and um, I think it's, it's effectively the Eye of Ender, um, if you've ever played Minecraft, but they basically decided it's some sort of magical gem, and he wants to use a spell to duplicate it and several times to do some sort of spell, but they've decided he's actually maybe up something a bit nefarious, and it might be that, although they're working for him, they're now kind of feeling maybe he's up something a bit dodgy, and they don't trust him. Now, this was really, really kind of generated by them as players a bit more than me. It was quite good kind of how this is, you know, totally made up this entire plot as we're going through it, but it's been quite cool kind of doing that with the children. It's been good fun. So we've ended up doing quite a bit of kind of collaborative story building as well as kind of playing GURPS. So yeah, it's been good fun. Like I said, the, the hope is that now with moving on to the full character sheets and stuff, they're getting a bit more experience and looking up. I mean, from the point of view of the children playing it, literally all they have to do is say what they want to do, describe how they want to do it, roll three dice, I will direct them to the relevant skill or ability, work out what it is they need to roll and tell them if they succeeded or failed. But you know, from their point of view, it's not really a difficult job they don't mind because they're not having to do any working out i mean they are get, they are very good i mean the six-year-old's amazing at math so he doesn't really have an issue with it so it wants to tell him what the number is he knows himself and he's rolled the dice and count them whether he's passed or failed so it's it's very very easy with gurps to work out these things so they're having a good time so we did a bit of the active defense last time and it didn't really slow the game down and they seem to be handling it so yeah it's kind of running really well so that's 12 minutes out of me rambling about teaching my children gurps and have to be said that one of the ethoses I had behind it was I went with the quick start to get them into it just to kind of get them in quickly so they weren't overfaced by this big massive character sheet but I'm really this massive advocate of not dumbing things down for children I think it's a massive massive mistake in any industry that we assume that you know the games we played when we were teenagers are too complicated for children I mean if you've ever played any of the games that are out there now computer games and things you know that children can handle quite complex things I mean Minecraft and stuff, the crafting they do, the combinations of things they have to do. I just listen to my children talking about it and I think, yeah, you can handle a lot. You actually can process quite a lot of information. To assume that you're, you know, you're not that mentally well enough developed that you don't have to do like a simple D6 system just to get a, a kid to play a game, I felt was really kind of doing them a disservice. So I've kind of thrown GURPS at them fairly rapidly. And the fact is, as I suspected, they've just taken it in their stride. They're just not put off by it at all. You know, it's just a case of them saying, and this is RPGs to the core, it's them saying what they want to do, how they want to do it. Me basically telling them how difficult that is, them rolling dice, and then we work out whether they succeeded. It's not really rocket science after all. At the end of the day, like I said, the sheets are getting more complicated. There's more stuff on there, but it's just building up, not even that gradually, fairly rapidly, I guess, but getting them used to those sort of processes. And they're loving it, as it seems at the moment. I mean, we'll see how long it lasts. They might get bored of it eventually, but they do seem to enjoy it. I know that my six-year-old's desperate to get my old dungeon tiles out and maybe do maps and minis with dungeon tiles and things just because he like, enjoys like, building. To be fair, he enjoys building the dungeons more than playing in them, uh, but I think he'll enjoy having that. Um, so, But at the moment, we're just describing things and drawing sketchy maps and bits of paper and stuff, which, again, they're really enjoying seeing those things. And it's fun listening to them describe what they want to do and like between sessions and like my six-year-old came up to me and said i'm wondering what's down the other passageway we didn't go down i'm thinking next time i might sneak down there whilst like you know his brother's not looking and see down there it was interesting they decided in the game the first time to play brothers and um, although now one of the characters has decided he's a dwarf so that they have sure how a dwarf and a human are brothers but hey maybe they're sort of adopted brothers we'll see we'll work that one out <laughs> so um, we'll see but yeah it's just been a quite good experience and it's one of those things i always think about the children that you know you don't underestimate them and the key thing is they're having fun they're doing what they enjoy and i've not really stopped the fun and so groups isn't like being an obstruction to that and i'm quite enjoying the fact that i've not had to change or dumb down a system for the children's play i'm just letting them play what they want to play so that's it for this episode i want to say a special thanks again to the Ben Powell and Phil Whitfield from Hand Cat FM. They all made a great podcast. 
Um, Kate Lodge Force Friends are okay with female players, but so <laughs> and TM. Um, Buddy Kate, if you've got any comments or questions, please feel free to email me at jonesbuddit at gmail.com. You can also message me on Facebook and Twitter, or you can go to anchor.fm slash jonesbuddit and subscribe there for our main Pokemon voice message. If you want to leave one longer than a minute, and it's the right time, just leave a minute long, six minutes, ten, email me, I'll do the best to the email address there as well. Some sort of last final thanks to TJ Brennan again for the music for this episode. Thank you, really appreciate it. Have an excellent everyone. Keep on gaming. <laughs>